The last seven years of human rule on the earth, which we call the tribulation, will be framed by a seven-year covenant that the Antichrist confirms with Israel. And for the first three and a half years of that seven-year period, the Antichrist will seem like a dream come true. He'll be the leader the world has been clamoring for, and the Messiah that the Jews have been waiting for. But at the midpoint of the tribulation, all that will change. But in this episode, we're going to talk about the first three and a half years where the Antichrist is the coming world leader on this week's episode of Revelation Unveiled on Faith by Reason. Welcome to Faith by Reason. The website behind it all is faithbyreason.net. There you will find hundreds of hours of study material, blogs, podcasts, and video. We are continuing our study of the book of Revelation, and we are focusing on the Antichrist as we are at the midway point of the book, chapter 13. And we're going to dive into the actual breakdown of chapter 13 in the next episode. But in this episode, we're going, because this the the uh, chapter 13 talks about the beast, which is who the Antichrist will be in the second half of the tribulation. But in the first half, he's going to be the coming world leader. And that's what we're going to talk about in part one of the Antichrist study. Now, in the previous two episodes, we gave an introduction to the Antichrist. We looked at myths about myths and falsehoods about the Antichrist. And then in the last episode, we looked at what the Bible says about the Antichrist's career. And in this episode and the next, we're going to look at his entire career in the tribulation with, again, this being a focus on the first three and a half years when he is the coming world leader. And I want to start by giving you a quote from a man named Paul Henri Spack. He is he was a former Belgian prime minister and one of the principal architects of the European Union, which is one of the latest in attempts at world government. There have been many. Well, We'll talk about them a little more in this episode and why why there have been so many attempts at world government. But again, the European Union is still around. They're one of the big ones. And here's what he said. He said, um, what we want, excuse me, I'm sorry, we do not want another committee. We have too many already. What we want is a man of sufficient stature to hold the allegiance of all people and to lift us out of the economic morass into which we are sinking. Send us such a man and be he God or the devil we will receive him. That is a quote that's strangely prophetic, uh, especially coming from a secular person. And it's been used quite a bit by uh, theologians because it, it really is succinctly talking about what the world, what the secular world has been looking for. We, they've been looking for a world leader who is basically going to lead the world into the promised land. Why does the world want this? Why are we looking for a leader? And it's hard to deny that we are. We put so much faith in the people who lead us. We almost worship them, even though most of them are not worthy. I would say 99.9% of the people who are our leaders, be it governmentally or corporately, are you know fail us over and over again. Yet we continue to look for some person, some king, some emperor, some president, some prime minister, someone to lead us. Why do we want to be led? And why are we looking for such a leader? It all goes back to Eden. Everything goes back to Eden. All of our behavior. I have put forth the supposition on faith by reason many, many times that you can trace all of man's activity, all of his desires, all the way back to Eden. Man's desire is to get back to Eden. And why not? Eden was perfection. Eden is what we were made for. We were made to live in Eden. And what was Eden like? 
Eden was a state of perfection where man was completely fulfilled. He had perfect fellowship with his fellow man, or in this case, his fellow woman, Eve. He had perfect provision from the trees of Eden that he could eat from and he had uh, freely eat from. And he had perfect direction and guidance, which was from his one-on-one -on -one personal relationship with God. Man, Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day. But when man rejected God, his desire for Eden didn't go away. When original sin happened and man was kicked out of Eden, he was no longer in Eden, but his desire for being in Eden never went away. Man still desires to be the king and queen of the world as, as they were before. And they desire that perfect provision, but they also desire a perfect leadership, the perfect leadership that they had from God. However, they want all of this in yeah, this Edenic state without God. So the greatest hope of man right now is being in a situation where everything is provided for him, where he is in perfect fellowship, and that's done through the laws and of the government. And they expect a perfect provision, which is done through the force of government and programs, things like socialism and taxation and all these different world governments that uh, have, have, try, have sprung up over time. They've been really trying to get us back to that Edenic state, perfect government, perfect provision, perfect fellowship, perfect guidance. And for the first three and a half years, the Antichrist will convince the world that he has achieved that and he will be worshipped. He will also, of course, again, be the false Messiah and he will fulfill what the Jews um, have been wanting from their Messiah, which is the rebuilding of their temple, the establishment of the land of Israel and and, and their place in the world hierarchy, the, the kingdom age that they've been expecting. And, and again, that's what he'll fulfill. So before we get to these the seven years and, and look at the first three and a half of those seven years, we have to find, we have to talk about how the Antichrist gets from zero to to the to being uh, able to confirm that covenant. Where does he start? And again, we've talked about the fact that there's always been an Antichrist figure, I, be, I believe, alive in the world because Satan doesn't know when um, God is going to withdraw the church and withdraw His Holy Spirit withdraw the restrainer and he's always had to be ready to take advantage of it so how, is, how does this work now remember in the last episode we talked about how uh the antichrist will be the seed of the serpent the seed of the nakash the seed of satan and i believe that in in a certain way it's literal and so it's going to get a little uh, let's say graphic but just bear with me because i believe that the the figure whose birth as the antichrist isn't just someone who has political ambitions and is used by Satan, I believe he is literally the seed of the serpent. And in order to understand that, we have to look at some fairly disturbing, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, disturbing and uh, heretical. So in order to understand this, let's take a step back and look at the big picture of who Satan is and what his goals are. What Satan is, he's an imitator. He imitates God. His goal is to be like God. And, and we've talked about this many times. In order to be like God, he has to have his own trinity. He needs to have his own Jesus. And the Antichrist will be that Jesus. But um, one thing to understand is that he won't just claim to be like Jesus. The Antichrist will claim to be Jesus. He will claim to be the return of Jesus. He will claim to have the blood of Jesus. He, he will be the physical I don't say reincarnation, but the physical appearance again of Jesus. It's going to be the second coming. How can you make that claim or how can you legitimize that claim? Well, in order to understand that, we need to understand something called 
the Merovingian bloodline. It is, again, it's heretical, it's pretty ridiculous, but it's believed by a shocking number of people. And if you want to do a deep dive into this, and if you have maturity for it, you can read um, the book Holy Blood, Holy Grail, which I believe came out in the 80s. And this Merovingian thing is, is really documented, is well documented there. I mean, it's not written by Christians. It's actually a fairly anti-Christian book, but the documentation of this theory is well presented there. And of course, you have the popular culture, which inexplicably popular <laughs> cultural phenomenon of the Dan Brown books like uh, Da Vinci Code, which became a, a bad book, which became a bad movie and all this, this other stuff. Anyway, what is the Merovingian theory? Goes like this. Jesus either didn't die on the cross or before he died on the cross, he had sexual intercourse with Mary Magdalene, one of his followers, and fathered at least one child, maybe more. It depends on the theory that you read. And then, and then, you know, he either died or he, he again, they either happened after the crucifixion or again, he lived through the crucifixion and they became a happy little family. The theory goes on to say that the disciples of Jesus and Jesus' other followers didn't like the fact that Jesus followed, fathered a child that took away the, his holiness, his virginity, his, um, his, his position as a sinless man, especially if the child was had out of, outside of wedlock. And because it would ruin Christianity, they came after Mary Magdalene and the child to try to get rid of them. However, there were certain followers who believed that this child was divine. The child would have the blood of Jesus. After all, if, this, if Jesus fathered this child, then the child would have that divine blood, that uh, blood that is from God and from man. You know, from man through, you know, through his mother Mary, through Jesus' mother Mary, and of course the divine blood because, you know, God, through the Holy Spirit, impregnated Mary. Um, and, and so they so these people decided to sneak Mary Magdalene and the child away and they took them they hid them away in Europe to be away from the followers of Jesus who were faking his divinity and trying to start their new religion for money and power or whatever their whatever the excuse they gave was so eventually this mother and child or the family they make their way to uh, Gaul ancient Gaul which is the uh, ancient name for France so they ended up in France where they lived for some period of time, and they were guarded by this group of people who, who rescued them from Israel. And these people were called the Merovingians. The Merovingians are the people who hid away Mary Magdalene and the, and the so-called child of Jesus and hid them in France. As time went on, the this, um, this child grew up, had other children, and they had children, so forth and so on. And this bloodline is continuing to go on and on with this divine bloodline of Jesus. And eventually this bloodline started marrying into the royal families of France. So the monarchy, the noble, the nobility of France had now the, this divine blood in them because they, again, they were intermarrying. And if you know anything about how uh, medieval uh, royalty worked, they would have contracts and treaties and settle disputes by intermarrying with other royal houses. So the in order to secure peace or treaties and trade or whatnot, they would the royal houses of France would intermarry with the royal houses of England. So they would send the, one son from France to marry a daughter. You know, the, the, a prince in France would marry a princess in England, and that would secure the relationship. And then they were, or then another one would marry a prince in, a princess in Austria or Germany or Switzerland or Hungary or all the. They would these royals intermarried with each other, and that's how they kept 
their that's how they secured their uh, treaties and relationships with each other and so you have the entire eventually you have the entire royalty of of europe all the royals in europe had this so-called divine blood they called the merovingian blood in them and and it continues on have you ever wondered why these royal houses of all the nations most prominently in england the ones who really get the most attention they all intermarry with family they are not allowed to marry just anyone they choose it has to be someone that is of a particular heritage and bloodline it's usually cousins i mean in, in in the past it would even be sisters and brothers they would marry each other but now it's kind of cousins if you look at um uh, uh, prince charles and and uh, uh princess diana i think they were married what, in the 80s and of course before she uh, she was she died in, in the 90s but she was his cousin diana of wales was prince charles's distant cousin the current ones i don't know prince harry or charles i, I forget which one harry or what's the other one uh philip i i don't remember i don't keep up with the royal stuff but i know that he married kate middleton she's a he's she's his cousin and the current one is married to the actress megan markle who i only know because i watched some of the tv shows she was on and she, i'm assuming she is too i don't i think she heritage wise i think she's like you know half black half white and maybe i assume part of her white half is has a blood relation to the royal houses they intermarry to keep this bloodline going why because they believe that they have this this divine blood of jesus running through their veins that is why they are so particular about who they marry and they only marry people they are related to and even when you get to and again maybe make maybe megan markle is not uh, the fit material for marriage. Maybe that's why she was having so much trouble over there. But again, I, I, I know this peripherally because I don't keep up with the royals. I think it's absolute nonsense. I don't know why anybody cares what's going on with this power, this uh, figurehead royal family in England. But anyway, then you have uh, the Rothschilds. We talked about them in the series on those who claim they are Jews but are not about the synagogue of Satan. In the second part, we looked at the Rothschild family and the patriarch of that family, uh, 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 Meyer Amschel Rothschild, he made sure that his sons, who became the big bankers in in, in the, um, uh, I think like the 17 and 1800s, they all married into the royal houses of the different countries where they set up their national banks. So why to have that bloodline continue? And we're going to talk a little bit more about them in, in just a moment. So that that's why they, they, want, they want to preserve this bloodline. And here's, here's why this all makes, how, how this all connects with the Antichrist. If you read a book called Clock Shavings by Tracy Twyman, who, you know, I'm not going to fully recommend the book. You need to be mature to read it because she's an occultist, but she does a good job of exposing why this is important because the, all the royal houses, all the elites of the world, like these, you know, the 13 families who run the world, one of which is the Rothschilds, they are grooming a world leader to come on the stage and again, be the consolidated world dictator as it were and they call him the Maitreya that's the name that, that is the the name they've given that's the title they've given him the Maitreya the Maitreya is supposed to be again the product of the bloodline of Jesus it, so again this is why I say that there's always been an antichrist figure available because this bloodline has been preserved through all this time now is this truly the bloodline of Jesus of course not it's ridiculous there is no physical, historical, or even logical evidence that this could ever happen. There is no historical evidence whatsoever, not a shred of it, that Jesus had a child with Mary Magdalene. In fact, this theory doesn't, didn't even exist for like a couple hundred years 
after uh, Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension. No one was saying this. So there's no historical evidence of it. It's all, it's all a made-up myth. Furthermore, it doesn't make any logical sense because Jesus' life is extremely well documented. It's what he, Jesus, the life of Jesus is one of the most his, historically, it was one of the most documented lives and deaths in history. And it was that secular history was written by his enemies. The Romans wrote, had, had his, their historian, uh, Flavius Josephus, write the history of Jesus. And it was also written, his history was written by the Jews in the Talmud, the, the, the Jewish leadership who had him killed in the Talmud. If, why would they hide this? Because they, they, it was in their best interest to ruin Christianity. It would have been in their best interest to uh, expose this because if they had evidence that Jesus had a child out of wedlock or that he was married or that he was having sex with Mary Magdalene behind closed doors, and it was a child, they, that would have ruined Christianity. That would have ended Christianity in the first series, century, excuse me. And that's what they wanted. They had every incentive, the Romans and the Jews, to expose anything that would have ended Christianity. And this would have done it. They, and it's not like they wouldn't have known. And they didn't do it because it didn't happen. It's ridiculous. So then why, if, this, if, it's, if it's so silly and, and so false, why do these royal houses still do it? Why do they still believe they have divine blood? Why do they believe they have the blood of Jesus? Well, that's not for, that information is not for the regular occultists. That's only for the lower level people. The people at the highest, highest echelons know that this is all a, a ridiculous myth. But they still intermarry and still preserve the bloodline because there is actually a special bloodline they want to preserve, but it's not the bloodline of Jesus. Actually, that bloodline that they want to preserve goes way back further than the time that Jesus walked the earth. It actually goes all the way back to our old buddy Nimrod and his wife slash mother, Semiramis. How? One of the many things we know about Nimrod is where the Bible says he began to become a Giborim. Giborim is one of the titles of the Nephilim. Where the Nephilim, the Nephilim are the angelic human hybrids that began in Genesis chapter 6 when the sons of God, the Benihai Elohim, angelic beings, had intercourse with women and produced these hybrid offspring. Nimrod either was born a Nephilim or became one through some ritualistic manner. We've talked about this many times in the past. You can you research it on in the categories on in the right navigation bar on the website, yeah, faithbyreason.net. Nimrod allegedly birthed a child called Tammuz. That child became the first of the of, of that royal bloodline. Remember, Nimrod was the first world dictator and his son Tammuz, if it was really his son, there's some debate about that. But if he was, and there's reason to believe he was, then that is the bloodline that is being preserved. It's a Nephilim bloodline. And even if Nimrod was not Tammuz's father, there is evidence throughout the Bible that the Nephilim did not go away. They appeared again. They were in the, the promised land when, uh, you know, a few, several hundred years later, when uh, the, the Jews were, were trying to take back the promised land under Joshua. The, they reported in the book of Numbers that the Nephilim were in the land. So this was still happening. The angelic beings coming down and having intercourse with women was still going on. So either Tammuz or another product of the Nephilim were considered you know, the hybrids, the, the god gods as men on earth, man-god hybrids, and their bloodlines have been preserved. I spoke about the Rothschilds. 
the Rothschilds claim. Well, let me, let me back before I get back to Rothschilds. Let's talk about what happens next. All the royalty of the ancient times, the Egyptian royalty, the Babylonian royalty, the Assyrian royalty, all claimed to be the descendants of the quote unquote gods, little g gods. Who are these little g gods? They are angelic beings. And it's easy to say, well, they were just, you know, saying this, the pharaohs and the, you know, other kings and queens were saying that they were the product, they were divine products just to be, just to secure their status. Maybe, but there was also something else to it. I think they believe they said that because it was probably really true that they were part of these bloodlines. And that's why not just with the current, and when I say current, I mean the last couple thousand years of royalty intermarrying. It was it was goes all the way back to the beginning. The pharaohs intermarried. The kings of Babylon and queens of Babylon intermarried. Of uh, the kings and queens of Greece, of, of the Phoenicians, of the Assyrians, you name it. Royal families always intermarry. Why? Because they're trying to preserve their bloodline. What is the bloodline? It's the bloodline of the Nephilim. It is a satanic bloodline, and that's what's being preserved. And that's why these people are always related. And it's not just royal houses. There was an interesting um, article I read. I wish I, if I find it, I'll link it in the show notes, but I, I can't promise I will. That showed that every single president of the United States has been related to each other. They're all family. Even Obama, who obviously doesn't because he's of African descent, doesn't look like the other presidents. But he was a distant cousin of George Bush, his predecessor. And you could find you can go through the lines and find that these people are all related, distant cousins. But they're, they're all part of the same bloodlines. And I think that's something that you know we need to keep in mind. So what am I saying with this? I'm saying that this Antichrist, when he comes on the scene he will be, he will claim to be the Maitreya. He will claim to have the blood of Jesus in him. He will say that he is Jesus come back to earth and he will present his claim by showing his his heritage all the way back. He'll claim through Jesus, but it's not really Jesus. But, he, but he'll say it's he, that he has his bloodline through Jesus, through this false myth of the Merovingians in order to present himself to the world as the second coming of Christ. And while that part will be a lie, what will be true is that he does have, quote unquote, divine or spiritual blood in him. And again, that comes from the Nephilim. All right. So what's next about this guy? Um, you know, will he be a member of a current royal family? It doesn't have to be. Honestly, all he needs to do is be again a relative. All he has to do is claim the blood. And there are, by this time, thousands of people who can claim that they're related to these people in, in some way or another. And there are, and here's the part where it gets kind of graphic, the, the people who have this blood are monitored regularly and they are bred. There are ritualistic, there's ritualistic breeding going on all the time. If you look at the, at the work of a man named Russ Dizdar, I've, I've mentioned him in the past. He does a, a lot of work in, in, in this area with satanic ritual abuse and these families who are who who have women who are just there to breed. They have this bloodline, and their job is to is to breed under these ritualistic circumstances where th there's you know, a lot of satanic things going on. There's a lot of demon, demon possession going on, and they are constantly trying to create this perfect hybrid child. Uh, it's called the Babylon working and Babylon working babies. And I'm not going to get into that deep. This is way too much, way too deep of a rabbit hole to go into. But suffice it to say that when the Antichrist is born, I believe that he will be of this so-called divine bloodline and he will be the product of this ritualistic birth. He will be the spiritual seed of Satan.
So let's talk about what happens when he comes on the scene. Now, keep in mind that contrary to popular opinion, Satan is not sitting in his, on his demonic throne in hell, just waiting in a Machiavellian sense on his evil throne for the perfect time to unleash his Antichrist. No, he's been wanting to do it for centuries. The only thing holding him back is the restrainer. He's being restrained. He would unleash the Antichrist tomorrow if he could. He's not waiting for anything. He is being held back by the restrainer, who is again the Holy Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit can restrain Satan, as it says in Second uh, Thessalonians. But once the restrainer is removed, which will happen when the Holy Spirit is removed in the form of the, as he, as he indwells the believing church, then Satan will be let loose. As it says, again, pretty specifically in the Second Thessalonians, that the spirit of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who restrains will continue to do so until he's taken out of the way. Then the man of sin, the Antichrist, will be revealed. So the next event on the prophetic calendar is the rapture of the believing church, the first rapture. And if you're confused about what I mean by the first end times rapture, then just look, go back to the series on the raptures and you can explore that. But once that happens, then Satan will be a, will know that it's time. He'll be restrained. He'll have the freedom to start putting his antichrist on the throne. And what will essentially happen is that the antichrist, this coming world leader, will accept the deal that Satan offered Jesus, that Jesus rejected during the temptations of Christ in the in the New Testament, in the Gospels. Satan told Jesus that he, all, the, all the kingdoms of the world belong to him and he can give them to whomever he wants. Of course, Jesus rejected that shortcut, but the Antichrist will accept it and Satan will give him the kingdoms of the world. Now, as we've talked about before, legally the kingdoms of the world belong to Jesus. He won that on the cross, but he has not yet come to claim him. At least by the at the uh, beginning of the tribulation, Jesus has Jesus has not made that has not claimed the world yet, and Satan still has tacit control. He is still he is still over the earth, and he has full control. I mean, let's look at our lives right now. Although Satan wants to be like a God, but he cannot be omnipresent and he can, he's not omniscient. But look at the level of control he has that mimics it. We all of it, with current technology, we're completely tracked. Everyone knows where we are any time of any day. We carry these little devices on our on our persons that we call cell phones that are really just mobile tracking devices. So it's possible to know where we are any time of day or night. If you have an Alexa or a Google speaker in your home. Technically, people can know what you're saying anytime you want. Don't just think that those things are one way that they only activate when you say <laughs> Alexa or Google. I think they can record you anytime they want. There are cameras on our phones, cameras on our computers. Don't think that there isn't the ability for that surveillance to be used all the time. So there is tacit omnipresence. He can know everything else. When we passed the Patriot Act after 9-11, that gave the government the right to read our emails and listen to our conversations. There is massive levels of control on Earth. So the question is, why hasn't Satan just clamped down on us yet? Because again, he's been restrained. But now that restraint will be will leave, will be gone as soon as the Holy Spirit is taken out of the world. What's going to happen then? Well, as we talked about during the series on the, the, the six seals, and that false apocalypse, the, the first seal is going to be opened when the church, after the church is raptured, and the Antichrist will, the, the rider on the white horse will go forth conquering and to conquer. I'm not going to go over everything you can that I talked about then. You can go back to that series and read about it. But there's, of course, going to be chaos when you have millions of people, well, hopefully millions, I sometimes wonder how many believing Christians there really are in the world. 
not not as many as we probably think in the U.S., but you know, there are other Christians, uh, Christian organizations, Christian organizations, Christian uh, communities around the world that might outnumber us here in the West. But there will be a vast number of people who suddenly disappear and that will send the world spiraling into unbelievable chaos. I mean, look right now, we have a virus that is basically a more virulent form of the regular flu that has almost shut down the economies of the world. When people disappear without any uh, uh, cogent explanation, things are going to go crazy. People, the stock markets are going to crash. There's going to be joblessness and homelessness and just shortages of food. It's going to be what's happening with COVID. Just take it to the an exponential level. But as that's happening, the Antichrist is going to go forth. He's going to begin his conquest with the as as depicted by the White Rider. He goes forth conquering. So you're going to start to hear as if you're still here on Earth. You're going to start to hear about a certain leader, a, a leader maybe in a small country or in a small political party. He's not going to be well known because he's been held back. But you're going to hear about some guy who's who's giving some answers, who's saying things like the people who disappeared may not be the good guys. Maybe they're people who needed to disappear. Maybe they were the bad guys. But what's going to happen after that is you're going to have the next seal open, the red horse, the spazzo. The, the ones who takes peace from the earth and slaughter. Who's, and again, that word slaughter, that word spazzo means a ritualistic killing. It's the same word that's used for when an animal is sacrificed on an altar, a blood sacrifice. Men and women, human beings will be sacrificed through these violent acts of these, uh, I believe, satanically possessed people that have been being held back. Why? Because this is releasing vast demonic power. That's what blood sacrifice does. We talked about that in the past. You can go back to previous episodes and and look at that. And again, you're going to start to hear about the certain leader, a certain world leader, talk, leader talking about what's going on here and that, you know, th this violence is out of control and that we need to have stronger laws. We need to have stronger government, stronger military presence, stronger law enforcement in order to keep these things in line. And he's going to start getting a following. People are going to start believing him. Then the next thing you have the black horseman riding, and that's economic control. Again, part of Satan's false apocalypse is collapsing our economy and having rampant inflation. And then you're going to hear this, this voice of this same world leader talking about how we need a new kind of economy, that the old economies of physical money and capitalism and even socialism and all the other economic systems just don't work. We need to not try to fix what we already have, not to try to fix our current economy, but to come up with a brand new one. A new economy that isn't based on the old systems. We need something new. And people are going to start to believe him because they say, hey, this guy's making sense. We have all this chaos, all this violence, all this economic disparity. But this guy seems to have the answer. And then you're going then you're going to have the the fourth horseman riding the uh, death and uh, the uh, pale horseman of death and pestilence and the beasts of the earth. And of course, we know the beasts of the earth, these Therion Gigantes, we talked about this again during the series on the, the six seals. These are Nephilim who are going to be back on the earth. They are going to be like nothing we've ever seen, and they are going to kill a fourth of mankind. And it's going to be beyond anything we could have possibly imagined. It's going to be beyond the, the slaughter of the red horsemen or the economic disparity of the black horsemen. This is going to be something that goes beyond uh, physical is also going to be spiritual. And that's when you'll hear this world leader who by now the world knows his name and he's going to have an explanation. He's going to tell you that what's going on here is more than just physical. It is spiritual. It's not just a physical battle we're dealing with. It is spiritual. These entities, these beasts, 
these Therion, these Nephilim that are around, they're not, they didn't just show up out of nowhere. There's actually physical evidence that these are creatures of old, creatures that we considered myth. And you're going to hear about how the museums are going to come with hidden artifacts and hidden uh, fossils and relics out of their basements that they've been hiding. Things that they've been hiding, not just in those museums, but in the catacombs of the Vatican that no one's allowed into. And they're going to tell you that, yeah, they've scientists in the upper levels have known about these things for a long time, but they just didn't feel the public was ready for them. And now we have evidence of these creatures, these supernatural entities on Earth right now, slaughtering human beings. But why are they here? Well, of course, we know that they are part of Satan's false apocalypse. But the Antichrist, this world leader, is going to tell you that this is part of a hidden history that has just been not provided, not revealed to mankind before now. He's going to tell you that all the religions that we've believed in, especially Christianity, have either been misunderstood or completely misinterpreted, and that there is actually real spirituality, a real true uh, supernatural belief that we need to learn about. He's going to tell us that what we know about the God of the Bible, of Jehovah, is all wrong. That he is not the good and loving God that Christianity has told us he is because, you know, most of the Christians are gone now. Who he really is, is a, the bad guy. That the God of the Bible, that Jehovah is not good, he's evil. That when he created Adam and Eve, he didn't create them because he wanted to love and be loved by flesh and flesh and bone creatures. No, he created Adam and Eve and all humanity to be subservient to him. He wanted to keep them locked in the darkness of ignorance with no knowledge of good and evil. But what happened? The Nakash, the serpent, Lucifer, the light bearer, he came along. And he tried to save humanity. He wanted to show Adam and Eve and all of humanity the light, the enlightenment of knowledge. He wanted to he showed them how to get the knowledge of good and evil so they, they wouldn't be these flesh robots, these automatons that the evil God called the Demiurge in Gnosticism. Had, wanted to, he wanted to keep them trapped, but Satan wanted to give them the light. Lucifer was trying to enlighten man, to teach him about knowledge of good and evil. And because of that, the evil God, the Jehovah, the Demiurge, punished Satan and punished man. And there has been an ongoing hidden battle between the good light bringer Lucifer and the evil, vindictive, judgmental God of the Bible. And this will be accepted. Why? Because God is is perceived as, again, this judgmental uh person is who this, this judgmental entity who, who doesn't want you to have any fun and just wants to tell you what to do and to restrain you and not let you have any fun but satan the light bringer he wants you to be fully yourself he wants you to be the full man you were meant to be he wants you to be like god that's always been satan's goal he doesn't god wants you to be bound in this humanity but satan wants you to be like the most high he wants to give you that knowledge god's the bad guy satan is the good guy and again, people are going to believe it. Why? Because man wants to believe it. The Bible says that man was shown the light. I'm paraphrasing. He was shown the light, but he embraced the darkness because he loved darkness more than light. So man will embrace this. He'll tell the world that everything they've been experiencing, the spotso of the Red Horseman, the economic collapse, these Nephilim on the earth killing people, these are all part of the evil demiurge God of the Bible punishing mankind. Why? Because he, he took out the people who blindly believed in him, those silly Christians who didn't know anything. He, he took them over. He took them back to his prison, his so-called heaven, 
and he took them back into the prison that he meant for Adam and Eve. But for the rest of the world who did not believe in God, who actually wanted to be free and have freedom of thought and freedom of expression and, and freedom to have sex and drugs and rock and roll and every other thing that man loves to in, in his baser urges, he left them on the earth and now he's going to punish them. And this is part of the punishment and that there's a war going on now between the, the evil God and the men who want freedom, who want to be like the gods on their own. However, he'll tell the, uh, the Antichrist will tell the world that their help is on the way, that they will be saved soon. And that's when we open the sixth seal. And of course, there's the great earthquake and the, the cosmic disturbances. But the main thing about the sixth seal, which we uh, talked about during that series, is that the stars of heaven will be cast down to earth. And the earth will open up to release the stars of heaven who are bound under the earth. We know them as fallen angels, but when they come onto the earth, they won't, they won't call themselves that. They will actually present themselves as ascended masters, as our alien transcendental space brothers, as it were. They are the ones who will claim to be our co-creators. They will say that when God said, let us make man in his own image, when God said, let us, he wasn't speaking of the Trinity, nor was he speaking of the uh, universal we in, in, in grammar. No, they're going to say that they all had a hand, all these uh, so-called angelic beings, these entities, these uh, that, that these uh, ascended masters that are coming onto the earth, they were the creators of mankind, that they all had a hand in man's creation, like the ancient alien shows say. And now at this critical point in history, they have come back to save us from the evil God. That's why they're here. They are here to show us the way to do what? To do what Satan said from the beginning, to become like God. And their, their antichrist, this new world leader is one of them, that he has their bloodline, that he has divine blood and human blood. He like Jesus, because they're going to paint the, the Jesus of the Bible. They're going to say that we misunderstood him, that the true Jesus was actually one of them. He was an ascended master. He was someone who had divine and human blood, and he came to show humanity the way, but humanity wasn't ready for it, so they killed him. But now you have this new world leader who has the blood of Christ in him and the blood of man in him. He is the perfect fusion of man and God. He is the God-man. He is the one who can be like the Most High. He is what human beings should aspire to. He is their avatar. He is the new leader of Earth. And people will, of course, believe it because they want to. The Antichrist will be the harbinger. He will be our model. He, was, he is going to be the false Christ. And just like the real Christ who says that we should be like him, this false Christ, this Antichrist, this coming world leader will tell us all that we should be like him. We should be divine. We should have the, the blood of man, but also the divine nature of God. And he will tell us that is he will come here to show us. He's come here to show us how to do that along with these ascended masters slash aliens slash old gods. So these aliens will all claim to be the ancient gods that men worship Zeus and, and Osiris and Thor and Odin and Zoroaster and Shiva and Krishna and all the other so-called gods of all the different pagan cultures. All of those religions were wrong. They were just, they misunderstood what was really happening. They were all worshiping these ascended masters and they have come back now to show us the way. So all religions are now defunct. The true religion is that of these ascended masters and their, their world leader, the Antichrist.
and they will end the suffering. They'll call off the red horsemen. So no more killings, no more peace will return to the earth. The economy will be uh, replenished under a new global standard of, of economics. They'll get, they'll take care of the Nephilim, get rid of them, get them out of the way. And they will usher in a time of peace and prosperity because of course Satan caused all of this so he can end it. And when it ends, every, the whole world will marvel after this world leader, the one, the model of the perfect man, the perfect hybrid of man and God with the divine blood and of course the blood of man. And during this time, he will solve all the world's problems. He will charismatically speak out. He will speak out, of course, against the Most High. As the Bible clearly says, he will say pompous words and blasphemous things against the Most High. Like I just said, that the Most High, that the true God of the Bible, that Jehovah is evil, not good, which is the ultimate blasphemy, that Jesus in the Bible is fake and that the real Jesus was, again, one of these ascended masters and that the and that those who dwell in heaven were just the automatons who foolishly believed in Christianity that these evil God took away and took them back to the prison planet. He'll say all these blasphemies, but he will also, but he will bring peace to the world. And as the apostle Paul says, by peace, he will destroy many. But part of that peace will be bringing peace to the Middle East. And, and he will, he'll let the people in the Middle East know that, you know, Allah and the Quran are no more real than the God of the Bible. They've, they've gotten it all wrong. And he will allow the Jews to rebuild their temple. He will confirm a covenant with them for seven years. And I believe part of that will be rebuilding the temple. Not because the temple is where God dwells, because again, he will have, he will have um, basically discredited all religions, including Judaism, but it'll be a symbolic act. It will allow the Jews to rebuild their temple more as an amusement park than anything else. Uh, but it will just be a, a sign, a show of good faith. But that will begin the tribulation period, that final seven years of human history that we call the tribulation. And for the first three and a half years, he will be admired beyond any other world leader. He'll be the, the man who brings peace and economic prosperity, and he will be loved. However, that period of time also begins, begins the period of time where God starts his process of taking back the world for Jesus. Immediately after this, um, this covenant is reached for seven years, you will have the two witnesses we talked about a few episodes ago, preaching, testifying against the Antichrist and his government. And for three and a half years, they will torment the world and they won't be able, and no one will be able to do anything to them until that three and a half years are up. You will have the 144,000 talking about, witnessing also about God, talking, telling them that, you know, who the true Jews are and what the truth is. So during this period of time, even though there will be lies everywhere, this deception, this ultimate deception, that this great delusion that will cause people to believe the lie. And of course, the lie is that man can be God. During all this, God will still be putting out the truth through his two witnesses and through the 144,000 who will be hated, but they will be sealed by God. You will also have the first, I believe, uh, the first five trumpets, the first six trumpets will be blown during this time as well. Uh, knocking down these strongholds that Satan has erected during his false apocalypse. And there's nothing the Antichrist can do about them because they are from God. However, he will continue to lie and deceive the world into believing that he is the savior. However, something's going to happen at the end of that first three and a half years. He's allowed to overcome the two witnesses, which we already talked about. 
he will also overcome the 144,000 because as we will see in chapter 14, they are all in heaven by the end of the uh, the uh, three, first three and a half years. I believe they're actually raptured. They're raptured along with the uh, two witnesses in the, in the second end times rapture. But the culmination of this will be when he breaks that seven year treaty at the three and a half year point and he goes into the temple and he becomes something else. He becomes not no longer the man of sin, he becomes the beast. This also has to do with him suffering a mortal injury that may or may not kill him. I believe it will, and I'll tell you about that in a couple episodes from now. But when he comes back from this mortal injury, he is something completely different. As I said, he's no longer man, he is now fully beast. And we will talk about what that means in the next episode when we actually dive into Revelation chapter 13 where we see the depiction of that beast with seven heads and 10 horns, who is who the Antichrist is going to be in the second three and a half years when literally all hell breaks loose. So we're about ooh, 45 minutes, so we're up 50 minutes over normal time, but I you know, had to take the time to present this to you. So that's the career, that's the first half of the Antichrist's, the Antichrist's rule and reign on the earth. Then in the next episode, we're going to talk about what happens in that second three and a half years. We're going to talk about what this mysterious beast is in Revelation chapter 13, and we all, who we also see in Revelation chapters uh, 17 and 18, particularly 17. So we'll look at both of those depictions because they're intrinsically tied together. We will look at the mystery of this beast, why he's described the way he is, what all that means. And we'll look at his true demonic self, the charming well-spoken world leader will be gone and will be left with the king of fierce countenance. This creature who is going to make Adolf Hitler look like a choir boy, who is going to be the most vicious dictator the world has ever known. And he is going to want to be worshiped as God. He will be the ultimate blasphemy, the abomination of desolation. And we will talk about him next time. All right. Thank you for watching and listening. I appreciate it. Please subscribe to Faith by Reason by going to the, in the right navigation area on faithbyreason.net and putting in your email. Also subscribe here, please hit the subscribe button and the like button and the notification button so you can be notified of these episodes when they come out. And in the next episode, we will again start breaking down Revelation chapter 13, looking at the beast that comes out of the sea.